0: I want to start out today by telling you a story. When I was 16, I got my driver's license. And it was time I'd saved up a little bit of money. It was time for me to buy my first car. I just had enough for a used car. We were going to a church at the time, and attending that church was a man who worked. At a used car sales lot. His name was Tom, big man, uh, loud voice. So I went down to see Tom at the used car lot. And Tom, very happy to see me, uh, said, I have the perfect car for you. Well, At 16, that's exactly what I needed. Someone who knew the perfect car for me. It was uh, a good, solid car. As I recall, it had been owned by a little old lady. (laughs) And so happy was I to know that someone was taking such good care of me. I had no problem paying whatever he asked for the car. And I got the car home and it was not but a few weeks later when I had to fill up the gas tank, and I noticed that the Pontiac that he sold me actually used a lot of gas. Probably wasn't the perfect car for a high school student. Then I think it used a little bit of oil and it became sort of hard to start. And it was not too long later I realized that in fact Tom had not had my best interests in mind. And it was a good lesson for me. Now, uh, one of the themes we're going to talk about today is how we use our words to get what we want. Now, lest you think that I had no part in this, it was a year or so later, I sold the car to someone else And that's what happens, isn't it? Something happens to us, and well justified, we will pass it along to others. You see, if we can get people to trust us with our words, we can get them to do what we want. We can actually control them. And that's the theme of today's sermon. Matthew chapter 5, verse 34 Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking about oaths, taking an oath or swearing. So let's see what he says. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black let what you say simply be simply yes or no. Anything else is evil. Now that word is evil actually has uh, the language of it is the evil one. It is something very personal. It's not just a general evil. It is specifically of the evil one, which is pretty strong language. You see, he goes on to say, that's in Matthew chapter 5, but Matthew also in chapter 23, starting in verse 16. Again, Jesus is talking about oaths and swearing. He says, "'Woe to you blind guides.'" He's talking to the religious leaders who say, "'If anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. "'But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple,' He is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? You see, the people in the religious elite had figured out a way to get around the law. I, was, I don't know if this happened to you when you were young. If you crossed your fingers and put them behind your back, whatever you said didn't, didn't seem to count. I'm not sure who made that up. Perhaps the same people who were making up these rules if you swear by the temple, it doesn't matter, but only if you swear by the gold of the temple. Now, you might wonder, Matthew is the only one who includes these sayings of Jesus, specifically talking about making an oath or swearing. I wonder why why that's the case. The other gospel writers didn't include this section. Well, the... You have to ask yourself, what is the purpose? What was the motivation behind these oaths that people were taking? In Matthew 23, verse 25, he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self indulgence. So we get the motivation behind all these oaths it's greed. Why would you swear? Why would you make an oath? It's so people actually will believe what you say and give you their money or invest in your piece of land. You know, Matthew records this. And Matthew probably knew something about oaths, because what was Matthew's profession? He was a tax collector. And when we are talking about our finances, typically we are wanting people to believe certain things so that they will let us off the hook or buy what we have to sell. When we're dealing with money, oaths and swearing becomes very, very important. And Matthew knew that. Well, I recall a time when I was using some oaths You see, I wanted wanted to go to Bible camp. It was probably about the time I was 13, 14 years old. Not just any Bible camp. You see, I wanted to go to family camp. Well, my parents found that a little unusual since my family wasn't going to family camp. Why would I want to go to family camp without my family? Well, my mother wondered that, and she suspected that I wanted to go to family camp Because there was another girl in my class whose family was going to family camp. My mother was a wise woman. She didn't go to my school, but she went to my church. And when my mother asked me if I wanted to go to family camp because of Molly, I swore it wasn't the case. I didn't like her at all, I wasn't attracted to her, in fact, I found some things unattractive about her to tell my mother, and I absolutely didn't want to go because of her. I really wanted to go to study the Bible, that's what Bible camp was for. Now the fact that I had, before that summer, not had any interest in studying the Bible (laughs) was not lost on my mother. Well, she said I could go to teen camp, but I I pressed and I pressed, and I manipulated, and finally I got my way. They paid for the extra week. I would go to one week of teen camp and then stay for the next week of family camp. And I was so excited I had gotten my way. And I got to teen camp, and I had a wonderful time, to my surprise, with all of the other teenagers. Then that week ended, and family camp started. And I was looking forward to family camp, but it quickly became apparent that neither Molly nor her parents were interested in having me join their family. (laughs) Instead of a a room full of teenagers to uh, come home to every night, I had just a little dorm room by myself. I was at family camp without a family. (laughs) And so it was. By Monday night or Tuesday morning, it was apparent that I was really not going to enjoy this week, and I had better use the time studying the Bible. <laughs> but I learned a lesson that week. I wish I could say I learned a lesson not to manipulate, but I learned the very important lesson of not to go to family camp without a family. You see, when we manipulate with our words, we think we are getting what we want. But Jesus says very powerfully, what you're doing is in concert, in conjunction, in coordination with the evil one. You are doing evil as you try to manipulate with your words. And as I began to look at different ways that we manipulate with our words, I thought it would be very instructive. So maybe you don't swear or take oaths unless you're in a court of law or something like that. We don't typically do that today. But how do we use our words or our actions to get people under our control to do what we want? You See, this goes way back. Knowledge is power. That used car salesman, Tom, had more knowledge than I did, and he also had a very powerful personality. And he said that this would be good for me, which reminds us of the very first story in the Bible, doesn't it? Somebody using their words, a very smooth-talking serpent, to tell Eve what she needed was some knowledge and that this would be a good way to get it. And she went along with that plan and she ate the fruit and we know the end of that story. One of the ways that we use our words to manipulate is with anger. I don't know how it was in your family growing up, or perhaps it is in your family right now. But in my family, anger was used very effectively to get what you want. My father was raised uh, in a Middle Eastern family. He came here. He had a temper. My father came to know Jesus as his Messiah, and I'm very, very thankful that he did. I see him as a King David character. He was very courageous to do what he did. But some of the things he used in the family were not healthy. But just as King David, God remembers him for the good that he did. But I do want to point out, I do like to preface when I say anything negative about my dad with the good things that he did, because we all have our good and bad. But anger was used in the family. And I remember specifically, he would have this sigh and this click of his teeth, and he'd start to breathe in and out, and you just knew that you had to be careful. It was about to blow, something was going to happen. And everyone started to dance around him. Now, when you use anger to get what you want, often you will get behavioral modifications, but you will not get love. You will not get people who want to be around you. They will modify their behavior so that, and as soon as they can get out of your presence, they will. What about in your house? What about door slamming, these heavy feet coming down the hallway? Yelling. Anytime we try to use our voices or our physical bodies to overwhelm another, to get control of them, we are participating with the evil one. Many of us do that because we, we become like the God we worship you become like the God you worship. And if you have a temper, then you need to ask yourself, what is my concept of God? What is my thought? How does God see me? How does he treat me? Because typically we will start to treat other people the same way. What about pouting? My dad was often also really good at pouting. If you did something wrong, he was displeased with you, he would withdraw, he wouldn't speak to you, cold shoulder, and you didn't know how long that would go on. How do you use your words or your lack of words to manipulate the people around you to get what you want? Instead of telling them. You see, all this is instead of actually having a life-giving confrontation and conversation. I didn't like what you did. I love you, but I didn't like what you did. I didn't like the way you did that. I didn't like the way you said that. This is the way your remarks landed on me. When you came in late, when you didn't mow the grass, there are ways to talk. My father never learned those ways in his family of origin. And many of us didn't have good examples didn't have good models for it. But as we follow Jesus, we have a good model. We have someone, when people were angry with him, he didn't return that anger. He didn't give people a pouting, a silent treatment. He didn't try to manipulate them. This is the amazing thing about God. You see, he doesn't want a fear bond. When you use anger, when you use manipulation, when you use that silent treatment, you can get obedience, you can get control, but you also establish what's called a fear bond. It's basically those people are controlled with fear. They will not love you. God wants a love bond with you. He wants you to respond to him to want to follow him out of love. I can promise you that Satan doesn't care how he controls you, whether it's love, whether it's fear, whether you sell your soul. He doesn't care what he has to use. He just wants to control you. But God, surprise to many of us, does not want to control you. He has no interest in controlling you. God wants you to control you. He wants you to have self-control. He wants you to have control of you. Well, if God doesn't want to control you, then what does he want? He wants to be known. He wants you to want to know him, to move toward him, out of love for him. But Satan doesn't care what he has to use or how he has to control you. With drugs, with music, with sex, with any addiction, with money, he doesn't care. What is controlling you? And what are you using to control others? You know, intimidation is the other thing. We use manipulation or we use intimidation. And we can use intimidation with physical intimidation. We can use it with with words, with contempt. Some of us, we even roll our eyes. Oh. We'll use sarcasm. Oh, that was really good. Oh, smooth move. Good job. Yeah, don't help me so much now. And we use... These words to make someone feel ashamed, to feel... In fact, in a lot of families that I know, in my family, this is true. This is how we talk to each other whenever we get together. It's teasing, it's sarcasm, it's putting people down. These are not endearing words. And Jesus is saying, be careful how you use your words, especially if you use them to manipulate others. What is teasing? Usually there's a bit of truth in it, but it's a joke. You can't really be offended at it, it's just a joke. But there's a barb in there, typically. Because in families, often we can't just speak kindly, speak loving words to one another. We need to give a little jab. That's just how it's always been done. And I wonder if this year, Around the holidays, you might actually compliment each other. And when someone gives you a barb, maybe you can just shake it off and not have to return one. And just say, you know, I I love your sense of humor. Something that would say, I see your heart. I see what you're trying to do. This is the only way you know to show love to me. And I recognize that. But I'm not going to play that game anymore. I'm not going to use my words to diminish people. I'm going to use them only to build people up. You know, Jesus faced this. We have the Pharisees always picking up stones in anger. Oh, they were angry. And they would stop at nothing to intimidate him, to humiliate him, to assassinate his character, to do whatever they could, and ultimately to kill him, to control him. But until his death, they were never able to control him. And Jesus never tried to control anyone else. In fact, he said things like, don't you know I could call legions of angels to to defend me? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use my power. I think it frustrated not only his disciples, but even his family. If this is the Messiah, why isn't our family doing better? Why are we still poor? Why is our cousin John the Baptist in prison? If you are the Messiah, aren't you supposed to be using your power and your words to get what you want and to get the good stuff for you and your family? At minimum, that's what we would expect from our Messiah. He didn't call the legions of angels. He didn't try to control or manipulate not even his trial, not even his death. Because this is what it all comes down to. It's a matter of faith. We use manipulation. We use our words as that used car salesman used his words on me to get what you want because you don't trust God to bring in money in an honest way. You don't want to pray for your income. You don't want to pray for that to happen, for that family member. And so you try to control them with your words instead of waiting for God's timing and allowing him time to act. You insist on doing it yourself. And when you do that, you are playing for the wrong team. And I want to give you a moment of silence right now. I want you to think about this. I've spoken about anger, intimidation, pouting, withdrawal, using your words. And I want you to think about if that's you, and I can tell you it's me, because I learned it from my dad, and I uh, I try that in my home, and my wife doesn't respond very well to pouting or to... Uh, the silent treatment and you know something that's not who I want to be that's not who I want to be and I try at a time or two and then I realize Ugh, I'm playing for the wrong team when I try to get what I want with silence or the stern look or lack of attention or affection or lack of a smile letting her know that I'm upset is that, is that really healthy? Is that like Jesus? No. If I'm upset, I can talk about it. I can say, look, I'm upset right now because of these circumstances. Would you pray for me? I can ask you to actually ask for help instead of trying to do it all myself, getting my way, and getting maybe pity or sorrow or help or attention or behavioral modifications by using my words or my lack of words. I'm going to give you some silence. And if you need to talk to God about that, I uh, I'd like you to do that now. Well, I want to finish with uh, with one more one more story. I'll finish with a with another story about me and my adventures as a young man. I learned to ski one year, and it was the year after I'd learned to ski, so I probably only had been skiing about five times. And I went skiing with my friend, uh, Rich, and we got on the chairlift, and it was a three-person chairlift, and would you know that Getting on next to me was a nice-looking girl, nice-looking woman. So she got on the chairlift next to me, and Rich, she's on my left. Rich is over on my right side. Well, as, it, as we started going up the mountain on the chairlift, I immediately asked her, well, how, how, often, you know, how long have you been skiing? And she said, oh, I've, I've just started skiing this season. And then she asked me how long I had been skiing. And I said, oh, I'm an expert. <laughs> I said, in fact, I won a, a silver medal in the Pan American Games. I Figured she, with a silver medal, she would never check. Most people would only know the gold medalist. But I don't even think there is skiing in the Pan American Games, I think. <laughs> think they 're in South America somewhere. <laughs> nonetheless, I asked her if she would like me to give her a few tips, a few skiing tips. Oh, she thought that would be fabulous what a what a giving man, which is exactly the image that I wanted to portray and so, as we got off the lift, we were getting off the lift, and she exited to her left. Off the left side, the the path went around to come back down and ski down the hill. Well, I think she assumed that I was going to follow her. Well, I assumed she was going to follow me and I was going to go over to the right side. Well, my friend Rich thought I was going to follow her too, so Rich and I collided as as we got off the ski lift. And since we got sort of tangled up in each other, we couldn't turn either right or left we just kept going straight off the back side of the mountain. So fortunately twenty yards down there was a snow fence uh, and our skis went through the snow fence and we hit the fence and I fell over on top of him. <laughs> well it was a bit of a problem since we were at an angle you, and my skis were through, so you can't just back out. You had to, you know, release our bindings, but we're laying on top of each other. It was, it took us a while to undo our bindings, pull our skis out, and march back up the hill. And would you know, she was not up there waiting for her lesson. <laughs> <laughs> So, I wish I could say that that lesson <laughs> made me stop my manipulation or outright lying. But I just tell that, I tell that story because we, it's in good fun sometimes that we, we try to puff ourselves up, make ourselves look different, bigger than we are, more important than we are. And today we would call that Facebook You'd call that trying to trying to post things. Only good things ever happen in your life. What do you do with your presentation of yourself? Are you able to be vulnerable? Are you able to to be honest? Because vulnerability is. an incredible measure of courage. It takes a big person, a big man, a big woman, a secure, confident person, not to brag, not to boast, but actually to be vulnerable, to say, yeah, me too. You know, I have an anger problem. Would you help me with it? I have this pouting, and whenever I'm doing that, the kindest thing you could do is to point it out to me And say, you know, that's not who you are. Let's sing a song together. Let's praise God together. Let's pull you out of this whatever it is that has you withdrawn, manipulating, angry. Maybe you're angry at yourself, angry at God, angry at a family member. How can we handle that better? How can you do that in a way that would honor God because when we do it in a manipulative way to put pressure and to control other people we are not honoring God it is of the evil one I want to pray for you now and just bless you Father I thank you for everyone who's come today and I ask a huge blessing on them on all of us now in this room and everyone listening to the sound of my voice that we would not use our words, use our actions, use our anger to manipulate, that we would trust you, that we would have the faith to pray about the things that we want, the changes that we want, and to wait for you, to wait for your timing, and to ask others to help us develop our character. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.